Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey friends, welcome to the new season of Revcovery. We are so very excited to be back with you for season two. Uh, we took a little time off between seasons to rethink and to get some interviews together and to just kind of refresh ourselves a bit. We think that is a good rhythm and that's something we want to establish, uh, but we are we're really excited to be back with you. My name is Justin. My co-host is Sarah. She's going to be on in just a little bit. And we were both ministers for many years and we left ministry for different reasons, but now we have a passion for helping people either transition out of ministry if they need to and helping them figure out what that looks like and how to do that well. Or if they're making the decision to stay, how do they approach the work with a different mindset and one that gives them life as well as gives the people around them life? Because I think that is an important thing to do. Those two things to balance intention, to have life yourself, uh, but also give life to those around you. And we get into that a little bit uh, with our conversation this week. We are very excited to have a conversation this week with Brian McLaren. For those of you that may not know, Brian McLaren is a former pastor himself. He has also written many books that have been helpful to those that are trying to rethink their faith. The latest one is called Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the Delusioned, of which I must confess I have been all three, uh, sometimes in the same hour. Uh, and so it was it was good for me, at least, to be able to sit down and talk with him. And Sarah and I both read the book and we really enjoyed getting to ask Brian some follow up questions as well as get insight into how pastors and ministry professionals and super volunteers experience doubt a little bit different than everyone else. And what are some ways that you all can interact with your faith and really approach this question of do I stay Christian? Because I think that is something that. Many of us that leave ministry or considering leaving ministry, we begin to ask that question as well. And, and Sarah and I both feel like this book offers an excellent framework. Both of us enjoyed reading it, uh, had a lot of questions to ask ourselves afterwards, and we'll talk about that in the interview. And it's a great, it's a great interview, and I am so excited to be able to share it with you. If you want to be able to discuss this interview or this podcast further with like-minded people, please check out our Patreon. Uh, to get connected with our Discord community, and also make sure you stick around for the weekly poem. All right, after all of this announcements, I am glad to now get out of your way and bring you this great conversation we had with Brian McLaren. Thanks. This is a podcast really listened to a lot of folks who are either considering leaving ministry, have left ministry, or trying to do ministry a little bit differently. And so we would love to hear, we, we joke around that it's like asking someone how long they served in prison, but could you tell <laughs> us about a little bit about the time you served and, and what that was like for you? <laughs> okay, that's good. Well, I had a sort of untraditional route into ministry. Um, I suppose it's like somebody who got uh, caught up in a crime and then got found themselves in jail. I don't know if that's a good analogy <laughs> or not. Um, it's perfect. But but what happened is I was kind of on my way out of uh, of Christian faith as a teenager. I I liked science. My church didn't believe in science. I liked rock and roll. Not now fundamentalists like rock and roll, but back then they didn't. <laughs> um, and anyway, I ended up having this very strong kind of spiritual experience, and and that kind of got me back on the Christian path. But never really, you know, feeling like I fit in with the the version of Christianity that I had been brought up in. I ended up uh, being part of a little group of people who started a church. I was I was in my early twenties, newly married, and I never I didn't plan on being the pastor. I was a college English teacher. I was very lucky to get work in my field, 
And then one thing led to another and our little leadership team group said, Hey, look, I, I was doing some of the teaching. Um, they said, um, would you be willing to take this on as your job? So I talked to my wife and she said, look, Brian, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a college teacher, and you're spending an awful lot of time doing church work. Of those four, I think you can do any three you pick. So, <laughs> so that's how that ended up happening. Yeah, I think we can relate to accidentally becoming pastors. <laughs> that was yeah. for sure my, yeah. I remember telling my aunt, like, I um, I think I'm, so my family lives in Canada. Uh, some of my family is like, hey, I think I'm going to be a, a, a reverend. And she was like, but you're a reverend. Like, she was so confused. <laughs> like, it was like, that doesn't. So they call me the sinister minister. They're like, we don't understand oh, that. <laughs> like, how so did she? I accidentally oh, I like fell that. into it, guys. And that's a great, great way to describe it. Like you're in the middle of the crime and you're like, well, I guess I'm stuck here now. <laughs> a minute now. Yeah, I I was at a, I was going to a conservative religious college to be pre-med. And then I just felt like, well, maybe, maybe I'll give ministry a try. And they just happened to have a ministry program. It's like, well, okay. And yeah, I, I, liked science. And so I think there were people trying to kick me out of the ministerial program. Like, oh, you shouldn't be in here. You, you enjoy that sinister science too much. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so good. We all accidentally are here, uh, which we is are great. accidentally here, but we're glad we're doing it together. Absolutely. That's right. right. We both just finished your book. And so should I stay Christian? Your most recent yeah. one. And I, I need to confess to you that I texted Justin and said, F, I think I'm still a Christian. <laughs> and he was like, I was just about to text you this like scary, maybe the same thing. Because <laughs> yeah. I think I might be too. Spent, yeah, shoot. Uh, although I still hold on to my credentials and I'm still within the United Methodist denomination. I'm just an extension pastor who works a lot with clergy who are exiting and leaving. And some of the people that you describe in this book are so relatable to almost every one of our listeners. I love the way that you formatted it. So the beginning is like all the reasons you should leave. And as I was walking my dog listening, because I like to listen to audiobooks when I walk my dog, I was listening, I was going, yes, like audibly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as you're thinking about this, all these people that you come to, are you finding more and more that you're meeting pastors who are like, I cannot anymore? Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I think... It's always been there, but it does feel like partly with Trump, partly with COVID, partly with everything else, you know, that's going on. It just uh, feels like the pace is accelerating. And, you know, it's actually uh, encouraging to me that you're that you say, yeah, these are the people we're meeting, too, because I think some people, especially when they read that first story that I tell about a group of clergy sitting around a uh, table in a restaurant and all of them had been thinking about leaving ministry and leaving faith, Christian faith. You know, I think a, a lot of people think, oh, come on, that couldn't really happen. But yeah, it's it's happening. Yeah, it happens all of the time. And I think this idea really is like, so do you just abandon it? And I think I'm, I'm glad that I kept reading. <laughs> and I hope that, that like yeah. this idea, because it is this idea, you talk about cult of innocence. And I think you uh, credit that to Nadia Boltz-Weber, yes. this idea that like, if I leave, then I'm not part of the problem. Yes. And I think that's what a lot of us are thinking or feeling. A lot of our listeners, actually, it's fascinating, too, that you mentioned Trump. A lot of our listeners, so we have a Discord group that chats, and then we, we get a lot of DMs. A lot of them say that that 2016 was the I cannot anymore moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, I I don't want to get too uh, you know serious and historical here, but uh, <laughs> historical or hysterical. But you know, when you think about American Christianity, I mean, it always has been. You, you know, you think what would it have been like to be a minister before 1860 when the Civil War began? Slavery is going on, and there were a very few overtly abolitionist clergy and churches, but most just had to keep their mush, mouth shut and not say anything about it um, mm -hmm. to avoid alienating their major donors or whatever. And so you, you realize that this feeling that or, you look back in history, you just realize this is a deep, maybe the most consistent theme of American religious life. And, and in one sense, I think people feel like, wow, everything got worse on, on uh, November uh, 2016. But I think you could also say, no, I, November 2016, a bunch of us said, we don't like this contract where we have to, 
mm-hmm. remain silent about things that seem like existential threats. <laughs> so, so in a sense, this you know, people think they've done something. Clergy think they've done something wrong. No, what what happened is things finally got bad enough that they said we can't go along with this anymore. Yeah, yeah. I I was fired in January of 2017. Is that um, so? It happened fast for you. Happened real. It accelerated quite quickly because yeah, in the lead up to that, before you know, Trump was even you know he was just a candidate, and I'm like openly speaking, like this is crazy, folks. Like this, yeah. we can't like this. This is the guy you're going to pick, really, and being more open about that and. I think, yeah, there was a certain freedom. And I think too, there was also a sense of, I think you could deny it in some ways. Like, yeah. oh, there's, you know, yeah, there's racism here, but not our church, you know, or, right. or, or it's a minority <laughs> position kind of Christians. or, you know, oh, certainly people will, will come to their senses, you know, through my great teaching or my great example or whatever. And then, <laughs> but then I think you realized, oh, Facebook is actually discipling these people way more than I am. And I think that it was a big moment for folks. And a lot of folks, yeah, were like, I'm done. I can't, I can't be in the system anymore. And, you know, either like me, they're fired or, you know, Sarah's story is, is different. You know, she resigned, but I think pastors are exhausted in a lot of ways. And I, I think the question of, do I stay Christian? I think the question of, do I stay a minister for many people, it's rather easy to answer. It's, but it's also mm-hmm. now what is my faith yeah. is so tied up in believing on behalf of other people yeah. or maintaining this thing. And now that I don't, ugh, what do I do? Could you maybe speak to that tension a little bit? Um, and are you seeing that kind of tension play out, uh, you know, pop up for people as well? Yeah. So I, I feel like I, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. So let me paint with two brushes. <laughs> okay. One, no, great. <laughs> That's great. So one brush is the people who say, I'm really in this thing. I think Jesus is right. I think, you know, his call to love is the only way forward for us. Uh, I think the pursuit of wisdom and character formation and spiritual formation and mobilizing people for action in the world, that is what I want to do. Why won't the church let me do that? (laughs) Mm, (laughs) um, Why is the church in some other business? You you know what I'm saying? It's like they... The I think at the heart of what ministry is really supposed to be, that's what they want to do. And they're experiencing, you know, that kind of frustration. I think there's another group of people, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not judging anybody in this. I, I think this is just realistic. They were 14 or 16 or 22 or however old, and they thought, wow, that's a nice job. You, you get to work with nice people, you get to dress up, you get to be around good music, you get to inspire people, and it's upbeat, and I like to be positive, and I like to help people. Gosh, you visit people in the hospital, I like doing that sort of thing, and it all just looked like a really nice profession, and then it's there's a different kind of disillusionment that comes in there, because in a sense, they, they just like to do that work, and, and now it gets complicated and and there are all these divisions and the and the need to take sides on things and it just feels like it's complicated for them in another way and and so i just feel like yeah we can have empathy for people uh in both situations and and i think part of what this means well maybe i feel about going into ministry a lot like i feel like staying christian if you're going to do it do it with your eyes open and that's what I hope people will do in staying Christian. And I hope it's what we'll do either staying in ministry or, or going into ministry. Maybe I could add one other thing there. Somebody asked me a while ago, like, how do you do it? How do you not, you know, crack up under the stress or whatever? And, and I said, and I, this is really true. I remember, I don't remember the day, but I remember sort of when the day happened in some season of my life where I said, all my life, I've been obligated to to say and believe that Christians are better people, that being Christian makes you a better person. And I I said, I decided that's not true. Maybe it should be true, but it's it's not true Mm -hmm. in, in today's American Christianity. And when I did that, it allowed me to take Christians off the pedestal 
and treat them like everybody else. Because there was a sense by them putting themselves on a pedestal and me keeping them there, it gave me this huge gap of disappointment, you know. And so part of this is saying, I've got to take people and I've got to take the church off a pedestal. And I've got to be really realistic about the way things actually are. Yeah, we talk a lot about even in Justin and I starting to work on doing this work, right? We were a little bit hesitant because we understand that like, we are very much steeped in this world that some label deconstructionism, right? Our friends are all parts of this. Our friends are famous in that world. In some ways, we're known in that world. But we find it to be very non-generative. It doesn't create anything. And not only that, but people who are pastors who are leaving their vocation, like so for whichever brush they stro- like yes, used, yes. they're leaving their vocation and they can't fit into this deconstruction narrative necessarily because... A, they're not welcome, right? So you're the problem. Uh, And then it's not a generative space because it continues this false idea that people are still on a pedestal Yes, and even more so. And I'm even angrier. So there was that, I think that's why I love the cult of innocence because it gave language, I think, to what Justin and I talk about. We don't want to be just another podcast that talks about what's wrong with the church or what's wrong with the vocation of ministry. We want to be creational. Okay, so yes. We can talk about the pain, and, and but now that it's off the pedestal, now what? And I think that was the part that your book gave language to for me. Well, I'm so glad. Yeah, I, I, you know, different people write differently. Some people have everything planned out when they begin. I kind of jump into a problem, and I don't really know how I'm going to get out of it. And so you, you sort of <laughs> that feels good. It feels okay, right fi- for me. <laughs> find your way out. But when I got to that second part of the book and said, okay, where do we go from here? The, the, what I hope can happen for people is that having deconstructed or how, whatever, however you want to say it, and having come to terms with your anger, you know, that then we say, okay, now what am I going to do about it? Um, because I think you're right. Like, like first, I always want to say to people who are going through these kind of faith processes, I, I always want to say to them, you're going to be angry. You have every right to be angry. You should be. It's um, okay. You should be angry. Yeah. Yeah. But then to say, but there's a way you can let, you are a victim of some bad systems and maybe some very mean individuals, but there's a way that you let your victimhood define you and, and you become a sort of self-victimizing person then. And, and that's not, as you say, uh, Sarah, that's not generative. It it's, and, and look, if that's the best people can do. Okay. I understand. But if I don't think people want to spend the rest of their lives embittered and yeah, I think they'd like to heal and, and get to a better place if they could. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like that person who's gone through a breakup and they can't stop talking about that person. That yes. person still rules a big part of your head. Yes. <laughs> like it's yeah. like, yes. and I think that's, Sometimes the way that we, and and I think we can't define that for other people, like it's time for you to move on because they never can until they're ready to say, oh, they're still in my head. I need to, like if the people who yell the loudest about their anger about the church, I can, I can feel it in my body, both fundamentalists from both sides. Like, you know, you talk about the uh, Christian rock and I never can remember his name, but that precious lamb from skillet who thought he really needed to yell about deconstructionism and it kind of felt like oh honey you're still stuck on your ex like you're still like like you you know and then i think fundamentalism on the other side of like anything that like smacks of christianity or looks like this is funny and or terrible or like all this sort of stuff and and then we just keep yelling about the thing that we've all said we're over <laughs> that's just this like strange moment that we find ourselves in and it doesn't feel right. And that's why I use the language of like, you gave language to something that Justin and I talk about a lot. It's like, we're not done, are we? (laughs) Well, and it's, it's okay for that to be a phase. I think we've all been there. Like there was a phase. And, you know, if I did like some Facebook excavating, I could certainly find it, you know, the, you know, just I'm angry at the church and, you know, and rightfully so I was very hurt, but yeah, I think with therapy and time, uh, time doesn't heal, but the time you spend, if you spend it well, that will heal you. Yeah. There just comes a point where it's like, I don't want to be an ex pastor the rest of my life. 
I, you know, I don't, or I don't want to be an ex-Christian the rest of my life if that's where someone wants to go. You're like, what is what is this next thing for me? And I I appreciated the the how section of the book very much because it it gave me language in a sense of whether I choose to be Christian or not. I think this is good fundamentals for anybody that. Uh, fundamentals in the good way for anybody to stay grounded in where they're at. You know, if, if you choose atheism, making sure you're grounded in reality, because I know plenty of unhinged atheists that are just as <laughs> fundamental as a Christian, you know, it's like they have the same smell, the same attitude, the same feeling when you're around them. And so, yeah, staying grounded in reality in those things, I think um, that was a very beautiful section of the book for me, just a reminder of like, However someone lands, I think this is a good how-to for us to live in the world together because we have to, you know, regardless of what your religious stripe is, like we got to figure out a way to live together and agree on something. And I would hope that is divine love and uh, <laughs> generating good things in the world. Yeah, I, um, I'd love to ask you a little bit about, you said this, you were working your way out of problem. I love that. That is exactly what I feel like I'm doing just with life in general. When <laughs> We, it sounds to me like you, you have a very loose hold or you've kind of surrendered the outcome when you're talking with people. Like, I don't need you to land a certain way. I'm imagining that most people come at you with, but what about belief? And I noticed that belief wasn't a huge part yeah. of this. Do you want to talk about, was that an intentional choice? Because obviously beliefs are all over the wall or do you mind sharing a little bit? Yeah. About that? It, well, so Sarah, I'm really glad you bring that up because, you know, the probably my last two or three books before this, I had dealt so much with the issue of belief. And, and what I realize is that one of the ways that people define Christianity is by a set of beliefs. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And, and it's all it is, is a set of beliefs and, and evangelicals do that. Mainline Protestants have ways of doing that. Roman Catholics have ways of doing that. It, it really is about beliefs. And so in their mind, that is, they're so bought into that definition that then when they no longer hold the beliefs, then oh, I'm not, I'm no longer a Christian. Those might be the people who get out of this thing the easiest, right? Because their definition was somewhat transactional, you know, and, but I don't think that that is really what keeps people Christian or makes people leave Christianity. And so the deeper issues, the way beliefs function in many Christian communities is, if you have these beliefs, we accept you. You are unconditionally accepted if you have these beliefs. If you don't have these beliefs, we do not accept you. Nothing else about you matters. You have to have these beliefs. I think what ends up happening to people is that the emotional damage doesn't come from changing your beliefs. It comes from having to realize how conditional your entire belonging had been all yes. along. Yes. And this yes. feeling that is that what I've been part of? Is that the way they treat outsiders? It, I actually meant nothing to them unless I upheld, at least said I upheld those beliefs. So that's why I, I, I suppose I, I maybe should have spent more time talking about beliefs, but it just- No, I don't like, think so. It, it's, <laughs> it's just not, it, it's not what you believe that is such a big deal. It's what function beliefs play in your whole existence within a community. I don't know if I'm saying that clearly. Yeah. But. No, I, no, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That, and that and that matches that matches my experience very much. I was let go uh, because of my beliefs about LGBTQIA affirmation. And I discovered very quickly who were friends and who were contractually obligated sharers of belief. And it was a lot of people that were just like, you know, thank you, but you are now dangerous. And so we disassociate from you. And yeah, you, it feels like your entire life is a house of cards that has now fallen because you, you thought oh, these are rich friendships. Oh, these are lifelong, you know, this is going to be a lifelong home for me. And you feel out on the street. And this is why I think we started this podcast, you know, to help ministers recover, because I think ministers, the hurdle to going going from I'm an Orthodox, whatever my community calls Orthodox, to like I am not, that has financial consequences. That has so many relational consequences, like retirement. All those things are tied up where you live. You know, I had a parsonage, so I had to move immediately. There are so many of those things tied into it too. And it can begin to feel very fake 
Like I'm believing these things to stay in because I don't want to have to move. And so I guess for someone who's trapped in there, you, you had spoken a little bit about like denominations, how to hold your space in a denomination. I guess what would be some things that you would say to someone who's like in that position? Like I am struggling with my beliefs. Do I stay Christian? Do I stay a minister? But there are so many, there are so many paper cuts and big cuts and hurdles to even moving to a place where I can even ask this question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, first, I just want to pour out huge amounts of empathy for people in that situation. And and I want to express thanks to you two for having this podcast going because there aren't that many places that where people can even eavesdrop on honest conversations like this. But it's it's really out there that there are people who think I've got to keep up the the act here. And not but like I have children, I have, you know, I have a family, I've got a I have a mortgage. I, and if I worked, in fact, can I just tell a quick story about this? Um, I, I was a pastor for 24 years. And for a period of time, all the pastors in our little town, Catholic, Protestant, it was, it was Christian ministers. We formed uh, conservative, liberal. We had this little pastor's fellowship and it was really very sweet. And somehow we achieved a, a kind of togetherness that I maybe would be very hard to do now for the reasons we've been talking about Facebook, Fox news, all the rest. But one of the members of our, our group came to us one, we had a monthly lunch and he said, he said, I need to let you all know my wife was just diagnosed with very serious stage four cancer. And so each month he came back and things were worse. And each month he came back and things were worse. And one month he came and he, he just looked pale, sat down and he said, I have to confide something to you. I have to tell somebody. He says, I don't believe in God anymore. He said, every single thing I've prayed for, for my wife, the opposite has happened. And I've watched her suffer and my faith is gone. And here's what he said. I need to be honest with somebody because I can't, I'm losing my wife. I can't afford to lose my job. And so he was basically saying, I need you all to know where I really am because I have to show up at my, you know, religious services every week and say the prayers and preach the sermons and do all the things I've had to do, but I don't want to lose my integrity entirely. <laughs> and so you all are holders of my secret. And I'll never forget when the funeral happened and all of uh, and all of these, you know, fellow ministers are there at the memorial service sitting in a row and it just felt like we're the people who are holding this brother as a human being and understanding, you know, and after that, he he went through a period of mourning and grief and his faith came back and he, he was eventually at a better place, but it wasn't like he was just throwing away his faith. He loved his wife so much that he felt that a God who loved him and loved his wife should not have given her such a raw deal. And he had all kinds of assumptions about God that he needed to question, but he wasn't allowed to do that because it was all one package in his theological setting. And so I, that's a long way of saying what I think people really, really need is a few friends who are what I call FNMW, friends no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's what we need. I uh, I think it's funny how those those moments where you like can't it's like you i hate this term throwing the baby out with the bathwater but <laughs> really like if you yes. if it is belief based you know like i guys i loved cosmic boyfriend god so much oh my goodness the one that if i just if i could get it right then i then my life would look a, a great way and because I am a gifted speaker or whatever i'm so good at telling you about this god and then when my, you know, in my own life and the difficulty and the hard stuff, it was like, well, I can't want, you know, I actually had a pastor say to me, uh, um, one of my supervisors tell me, hey, the congregation knows you are sad. I'd gone through a really difficult time and, and no one wants to follow a sad person. So oh, can you, can you try to not be sad? Oh, and this was after like the guy I was marrying, we didn't get married and that was public and that was hard. And I was I was young and I was in pain and I was a lead past. I was a lot, it was a mess. And those words stuck with me because what it told me is that nobody wants to follow authenticity and I knew it was wrong, but it took me a while to process that I knew it was wrong. So for that pastor to think no one's going to want to 
follow someone who doesn't know how to, you know, we're, it, it's not good marketing to be like, I don't even know if the stuff I'm selling is working for me. I think yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's, and you feel dishonest. And most of us, I, I want to say most of us got into this because we had a desire to be authentic and full of integrity and to help others become more themselves and, and closer to all these things. I think they were for good reason. And then we have to hold on to that in the midst of our own questioning and and pain. And I, I just, I, I could almost feel that guy <laughs> just like sitting there going, I have to act like God is good when I just want to burn this whole thing down Yeah, because yeah. my paycheck is attached to it. Yeah. 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 You know, um, it's, this is bringing back a, a memory when I w- was a pastor and I was going through, you know, my own, and of course, uh, I, I actually did use the word deconstruction back in the eighties and nineties. Cause I'd studied deconstruction in, yeah. in, no, I'd studied <laughs> it in graduate school. It, it was sort of the, the first place it hit the American Academy was in English departments, but, but I was going through this process and I, I would try very gently and very carefully to let my congregation know, like, I didn't want to totally keep it a secret. And I would just say things like, I used to think this, now I think this, or I used to think this, I'm just not sure about that anymore. Um, and and I, I would drop a lot of those crumbs, right? And those clues. And then when my first book came out, I remember having some anxiety, like, oh no, people are going to know what I'm really thinking even more. And a member of my leadership team came up to me and said, hey, we're having this leadership retreat this weekend. I really think we should talk about the journey that you're on. And so my heart starts beating oh, like, oh, yeah. no, I'm in trouble. And, but he said, I think we have to have an open discussion about whether this is a journey that you're on or is it a journey that we're on? And and I said, please don't bring it up. I, I don't think we're ready for that yet. <laughs> and he brought it up. And <laughs> yeah. to my total surprise, our leadership team said, this is not just a journey you're on, Brian. We're on this journey, too. Oh, and it gave so me permission to have to sort of say this is now part of my job, you know, to help help us um, deal with this. And you know, it it I mean, the fellow who brought this up was very assertive, you know, type person. And at the time, I don't think I realized this, but I wonder, looking back, if he was trying to protect me. I think if he was trying to say, "I think we're with you, Brian," and it would be better to get that out that we're with you. So you don't have to feel you're so alone. You, you know what I'm saying? I think it was yeah. a, a generous act on his part. That's so good. It makes me think of the idea that like, we, we've learned to like, shove down or kind of conceal don't feel I call it. <laughs> I often call it the frozen theology, like the movie yes. frozen, like conceal don't feel like yeah. it just present everything's great. Um, and everything isn't great. And I think we have been taught that, but the problem is, is you can't love something you don't actually know. And so we never feel fully loved because we're never fully seen. And then we're, the truth is too in it. I think the moment you were having is a moment I know I had, which was, am I going to disappoint people? Yes. If my shifting faith, you know, cause, cause we all have had the moments where someone just says you are a light for God and all this sort of stuff. And you're like, why? And I'm an Enneagram three. So I'm like, keep it coming. Um, <laughs> and then, like, and I was socialized as a female in the church and I'm like, but don't make it about me, but keep it coming. Um, you know, I think there's this incredible thing where we're half known. And so yes. that moment where they could know you and say, yeah, us too. We're often robbed of that. If it is just based on belief, because they knew you in that moment and you shift and and we're not honest about not only does the community shift, but the pastor often is shifting as well. And so mm-hmm. if we just make it about this, none of us can be fully loved or seen because it has to, we have to fit here and we're all just pretending we're here. And and one of the things that I think might help us navigate that is that the people who won't let it, won't give us permission to be a hundred percent us, you know, or even 75%. They just want the little sliver that fits with, uh, you know, the, whatever the, the- theology is. I, I, like, this is something I, I remember exactly when I finally saw this clearly, but they have other people who, re- who will reject them <laughs> if mm. they accept us. 
and and you realize it's this whole system it's it's the system of it's almost like informants and you know it's an authoritarian system where you you have to reject somebody to show that you're loyal to the other uh, authority structure I, I know that well yep yeah <laughs> and but but when i understood that it helped me see these people aren't just being mean these people are afraid and and there, and i've understood that because i think i've done that to other people before and i wasn't even aware of it like it i don't know if that I, but i think it helps to see that it's not that people are in and of themselves being bad well it's a little bit like i, I said at the beginning of do i stay christian you know not nobody is born a religious jerk it takes a religion to make them that way and and it's a religious system that makes you into that uh, kind yeah. of person i I know that very well because that was that's what I experienced that rejection and and yeah. it was a huge turning point for me and anyone listening to this I would definitely encourage you to think about this like it was a huge turning point for me to like I had this I'll just kind of I had this board meeting like the every great every great uh, <laughs> pastor story starts with an impromptu board meeting where they sit you down. Yeah, the one that you don't know is coming. <laughs> you know, and, and what didn't help is they had a, I was a youth pastor at the time and we met like the only room that was big enough to have everybody was the youth room. And so I sat, and I sat on the wrong couch. I sat on this like broken couch. So I was like lower than everybody else. <laughs> so it made it feel even worse. And we all uh, know about those couches and the youth room. Oh, oh yeah, we they're, do. They're so rough. I got rid of so many. I was like, no, like we're not going to do that. But anyway, and so, yeah, I just felt, and it was a big turning point for me when I started looking at those memories and be like, these people are performing for yes. each other. Yes. Their, you know, insistence that, you know, being whatever, that I'm wrong. And, you know, even like people throwing me under the bus and like denying that they were even affirming because I knew some of them were, uh, you know, but it was just like, I, when I was able to be like, this is fear playing out. Like just what you said, this is, this is them performing so that, so that they don't lose their job or their position and, and how dare I step out of line. And so like that, when I was able to do that, I mean, it still stung, it still stings even just thinking about it now, but I am able to have a little bit of humor about it and be like, you know what, I, I, I would have done the same thing in, or I could have very easily been that person too. And at times I was, I think that is, that is, that was a massive turning point in my healing you know, and to be able to let go of that bitterness and that anger and to see like, yeah, people are performing. We're all performing in some way, you know, and, and when you know what your audience actually is, you get a little more control over that narrative and how you present yourself to the world. But, you know, when you don't, yeah, you're just performing for the religious crowd. And, and unfortunately that means a lot of that is throwing people under the bus and a lot of ministers end up chewed up in that. And that's a big part of what we want to help people come to terms with. Yeah, I I wonder too. I think the word that you used a couple of times, not just here, but also in the book, is empathy. And mm -hmm. I think we and I and I say we, even as someone who grew up in a very progressive home and space, oftentimes I so I would pendulum right. So it's difficult to have empathy for people who you know you're looking at people who are hate filled, and and how do I have empathy for them? And and you're harming my friends. You know, if you guys want to know how I responded to Trump being elected, I had to preach the next day and I just wept in front of my church, which I never did. And I was just weeping going, we have to be better. And I had Republicans in the room, but I was just like, I don't need to say what this is, but I'm standing looking at, you know, uh, a lesbian couple or in my front view. And I'm looking at, you know, we've got people who are black over here. We've got, and I'm like, we have to be better because this is not okay. And that's, that was my response. So I don't know. I didn't know how to have empathy for people who are, like you said, performing. And I think there's something that concerns me about, like I can't even engage on Twitter in some ways because I can't stand people who don't know people defining people in either way with no empathy for who are you. And I don't know how to do that as someone recognizing my own privilege within it, but I cannot see a way forward for us as a people if we can't have empathy or even those causing harm. And I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't know how yeah, to fix that. I, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, I'm guessing what you do is you feel pain about it. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's all we can do. I think we can feel that pain and yeah. I, and thinking about current and former clergy who are processing, Oh, I thought I was part of this innocent community 
of sincere believers who had the truth and were on God's side. And little by little, that understanding of what I'm part of has been changing. I mean, first, I think people ought to be able to give themselves a little bit of empathy to say, I've been through a lot and I'm in the middle of a pretty big process here. And and then I think for them to be able to say, and I have people who, you know, 45 hours a week work at a, a bank or a bar or a school or a hospital, and they only think about this God stuff on weekends. So of course, they're nowhere near as thinking about it as deeply as I am. And for them, the church place is the one place that's constant when everything else is crazy. So they don't want trouble there. They just want that to go on to business Mm -hmm. and suddenly realize, of course. And that's why I think clergy very much need, you know, a friend of mine had a good term for it. He called them non-utilitarian relationships, relationships that there is no money exchanged. Well, although sometimes money is the cleanest thing you can exchange when you go to a therapist or a spiritual director, it's like, this is very clear. I'm paying you to, you know, be in a certain role, but where there aren't these dual relationships and conflicts of interest, it's really nice if it's somebody who just likes you, you know, (laughs) Uh, and, and you feel that they're, that, yeah, it's an uncomplicated relationship. They, they sincerely uh, care about you. And a lot of us in ministry find out that all of our relationships have these complications. You know, I'll, I'll just say, this has been one of the incredible blessings in my life of having interfaith relations, like having friends who are rabbis or imams or uh, whatever, because it's kind of like they need me as a friend to talk to outside their system. I need them as a friend to talk to. And you're not trying to convert each other. I think that's the but I was a church planter. Like I, uh, my last position, I revitalized a church here in Southern California. And so in a weird way, every relationship, every relationship, you're thinking, how is this going to affect my community? Are they going to join it? Do they want to be part of it? Do I, what are they going to think of me? It's just, and you're taught to be that way. And so the relationships that I'll be honest, were my friends who were like, not interested in faith whatsoever. I'm like, we can, we can talk or my friends who were like steeped in their own religious, whether they were faith leaders or not, who were in never, ever going to darken the doors of my church. <laughs> I feel like I could be a little bit more like, okay, guys, like, I don't even, you know, it's Tuesday. And so Tuesdays I'm agnostic. Like I just, <laughs> it's like there was just like these great relationships where I could just be. And I think, or other clergy, like women clergy were like a great of other denominations oh, sure. for us to just sit together and be like, I mean, how this, this world is weird enough. And now we've chosen something even weirder. And I think that's the hope of this community that we've been creating is understanding that faith shifts are normal. I mean, Phyllis Tickle taught us that, uh, St. Phyllis, that, you know, that's, that's, you look at the history of it, it just is normal. And so it's normal, not just for a church community or a society to change, but also for people who are leading those things to change. And that, you know, there can be, you know, I hesitate to use the words me too, because we know that holds connotations for other things. So I'm not trying to take away from that, but almost that like sense of like collective breath of like, yeah, I've been there. Like, and we can laugh about, you know, the board meeting where you're sitting on the chair and meant to feel really small or, you know, all of us who have been the shit sandwich of here's all the great things you do and you're just waiting for the butt you know it's coming you know they've (laughs) sat and discussed what are nice things we can say so now we can tell them how terrible they are and the expectations that no human can meet and i think Mm -hmm. there was you at one point said something about the humanity like all of us are human and i think when we put people on a pedestal they're so disappointing aren't they even our like good deconstruction leaders i mean wow yeah wow well they're They're also now on a yeah, they're humans. They're they're not not human just because they are leading a whatever it might be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I'm I haven't thought of this in years, but I just went back to one of those board meetings where <laughs> sorry meeting, I took you back there. <laughs> the, the meeting <laughs> the meeting ended and somebody left a briefcase in the room. And I opened the briefcase to see whose it was, and there was a tape recorder inside of it still recording. Oh my goodness. And I lifted that up 
And there was the transcript from our last board meeting that this person had taken the recording. And I realized I, that was a bad moment. Yeah, that was a bad moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, am I a pastor of, if I accidentally joined the CIA? Why, why is there yeah. a dossier and a briefcase? This is, ah. Uh... I, I was also secretly recorded one time and it, uh, yeah, I, that's a, that's an awful feeling. I, wow. I'm, no, guys. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is wild. The, like, it feels, it, it is a strange feeling as a minister to be, it's a precarious place because many times the board is the one that hires and fires you and they know less than you objectively. Like that's not a statement of arrogance. Like they just, they hired you because you're the expert. Like they hired you because you have the education, you have the talents to lead us spiritually, but you begin to stray a little bit from that and in the wrong church. I mean, and, and some folks are blessed to have a church that does want to take that journey. But I know my many people's experience is like, I, the church does not want to go on a journey with me. And then, yeah, and all of, suddenly it becomes, oh, well, I'm sorry, we're gonna have to part ways now because you, the expert, have led us to a place we don't want to go. And so it is, it is a, it's this very strange relationship to try to navigate between leading a people, but also being like, they're the ones that have all the power here. And, and ultimately, if I don't give them what they're looking for, and unfortunately, Fox News is the one telling them what to look for these days, a lot of people, not everybody, it's such a tricky thread to navigate uh, well. And I, I understand why people crack under the pressure. I mean, we, we, we see those stories every day of, of people that are like, I'm at my breaking point and I can't stay healthy anymore. Yeah. And that's, that just creates such a, a, a wellspring of empathy and sadness, I think, in, in all of us to see. The idea that you, I just thought of, so I was also part of a pastor's group and uh, Brian, we call it my men's group because I was the only woman in it, um, of all the lead <laughs> pastors in Costa Mesa. So my friends would always be like, you go to your men's group? I'm like, going to my men's group. <laughs> and so I would go and there was uh, one guy in the group. And so we went to this uh, gathering. It, and I, I need to preface it with, they all apologize later, the people who ran it. So my community was really well known for being affirming and inclusive. We had like a, a giant sign on like two story sign that said, you know, you're already loved by God that was rainbow so that we were not hiding anything. And then they had like a female pastor. So we were already suspect. There are other, two other female pastors, by the way, in the city. But when we talk about empathy, that was part of it. They wouldn't be with them. They're like, I don't, I don't, those guys, they run mega churches. I'm not interested in them. I'm like, oh, but if they don't know us, they're never going to know us, if that makes sense. They're never going to understand what, what someone like me is like. So this guy gets up to talk and he starts talking about how his family is a miracle family. Now, mind you, we are in, we are in a community of formerly unsheltered people where, who are hosting the event. So I thought this guy's about to talk about his time on the streets. This is going to be powerful. Can't wait. Then he says, because I was once living a gay lifestyle and the entire group of clergymen just look at me. <laughs> and then he keeps going on and on about how he once lived in Palm Springs, which by the way, sounded like a lot of fun. And then, but don't worry, he found his now super hot wife and his oh, life is different. I'm like, wow. you were actually bi, dude, but we, it's not my business. You do you. So this guy's talking about all these clergy, like, look at me, like waiting to see if the progressive will explode. Like, is it, automatic spontaneous combustion or can she maintain <laughs> and that's when i talk about my frozen conceal don't feel where i'm like yes should have got some botox before coming to this because i don't know how to yeah. hide how this face feels oh yeah but the, yeah out of that came no less than four behind the curtain because we all worked in a co-working space behind the curtain conversations of hey i'm completely affirming and one of the pastors who had this conversation with me ended up leaving the church he had planted, the church he had planted, we're talking, it grew. It was the cool, it is the cool church in this area considered progressive because it, you know, it does stuff for the homeless and uh, actually, you know, the sort of stuff because he wanted them to be as affirming as he was. And they said, we cannot. So he ended up leaving. And the pain of that, when you have created something and it's not necessarily about ego, but this idea that but I was the one you listened to. And now I can't even recognize. And we've used the word family for so long. And now my family doesn't like me because I went too far. And I think that's why that, that word empathy means so much to me in this time is like, we can't be mad at him before when he didn't, wasn't fully inclusive. And, and, it, and it took a moment where it was like, 
oh, and, and maybe 2016 for a lot of people was like, oh, that's not right. <laughs> you know, like yeah. a, lot, a lot of blinders that, fell off. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes for us, right? Those of us who are people of color or uh, marginalized people, they're like, welcome. This has been the soup you've been swimming in for a while, but welcome. So yeah, I think it is this profound grief that you only can kind of know if you've gone through it of creating something that you don't recognize. When you use that word grief, I, I've been thinking a lot about how all of life is grief <laughs> um, because really in some ways we, as uh, parents, we try to give our children this idyllic view. It's sort of it, somehow we almost think we're being bad parents if we teach our kids to be realistic. So we give them all of these false notions and then they spend their lives in denial or denial and anger or denial, anger and bargaining or denial, anger, bargaining and depression, uh, you know, and, and yeah, it, there really is grief. And, and it's interesting, uh, you know, after depression in, in those stages of grief, grief comes acceptance. And then they've added a sixth stage in recent years of meaning. And, and I was just thinking about this because in Do I Stay Christian, in one of the chapters, I talk about a, a four-stage model of faith development that I, my previous book had really been about. I just tried to summarize it in a chapter there. But I realized that the four stages I have of simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony, well, simplicity is like denial and complexity <laughs> and, and mm -hmm. denial and anger and complexity is like Bar anger and bargaining and uh, perplexity is depression. And, and then this is, I think, probably where a lot of clergy are. They're in that feeling of depression and they wonder if there's anything on the other side of it. Could there be any acceptance and, and meaning that comes out of it? So that's, uh, you know, it is grief and it is loss and it's loss of illusions and loss of a belief system that you worked really, really hard to perfect. And you read a lot of books and spent a lot of money <laughs> on courses I and mean, everything else. Still yeah. spending money. You, you read yeah. Bart guys. No one reads yeah. Bart. You read, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> like read, that's like I, a lot. I read. And then I wrote more about Bart. <laughs> right, right. We have done it. You know <laughs> how to say it. Bart. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> well, in our last couple of minutes, we are so grateful for your time. As you talk about this idea of grief, you also have this beautiful way of talking about hope. So if you could think of like a, a tangible thing for folks who are listening, who are maybe feeling that heaviness of depression yeah. um, or know someone who does, we find we are, we are kind of like a, a weird podcast that people like pass to other people with no words and just say, I think you need this. <laughs> so yes, they like yes, know yes. that. So if you've been handed this by your friend, uh, they see you. If there are people who are in that sort of depressed stage, what's some sort of practical ideas of hope or maybe even practices that you've found helpful or seen be helpful? So I'm going to take a risk and say something that I could, I think it's only people who are really in pain and really depressed who would be able to accept what I'm, I'm about to say. Uh, and, and so here it is. Here's the irony. You, there's a good chance you got into ministry because you actually wanted to be a better person and you wanted to help other people be better people. Like there's a really good chance that if you could go down to the deepest part of this, you got into ministry because you met some people who were really good people and you thought, I want to be like that. And that's what I want. Well, the irony is that the pain we go through in these ministry situations where we have a choice to be dishonest and we say, no, I want to be honest. And we have a choice to throw other people under the bus. And we say, I've done that before. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to, I'm going to have empathy for people and not, I'm going to identify them rather than throw them under the bus. And, you know, decision after decision that gets you in trouble. The irony is you're in the process of becoming a better person. <laughs> and if you hadn't made the choices that have yeah. made your life more difficult, you'd be a worse person than you are now. And so part of what I feel, you know, I want to say to people is, I know this is miserable, but this is the process of becoming a better person. And the the irony, well, I suppose this is maybe the good news. There are three of us on this, on this conversation right now who will say to these people, if you want to still be a Christian as a better person, you're allowed to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> you yes. can stay. 
Yes. Or you can go. And, and if you just can go, be a better person. You'll be a better person. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. whatever you do, be a better person. I think that's yeah. uh, that's good advice for sure. And it's and it's what you always wanted. It's what you mm-hmm. always wanted. Yeah. Well, yeah, this has been such a good. rich and wonderful conversation. Justin, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have something you wanted to add? No, no. I just, I think, I think so many ministers that are stuck and depressed are like, they're just genuinely trying to follow Jesus yes. and they're following Jesus out the door a lot of yeah. times. <laughs> uh, and yeah. that's okay too. Like I, I, I resonate that with, with that so strongly, like the, the things that we prize so dearly and the people you have to become to stay in sometimes are, are mutually exclusive. And it sucks that you were given that choice, but it's okay to make the, yes, the right one, yes. even when it's painful. Like that's, that's, that's such a beautiful sentiment. And I just, I wanted to yeah, chime in on that. That was really good. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for this time. We know that you are a very busy human. And so we appreciate yes. you coming and, and just being uh, someone who really is helpful in this process for folks. And so thanks again for joining us. Yeah, well, thank thanks you. for thanks for what you're doing with this podcast, and thanks for having mm-hmm. me. And I honestly can't think of any place I'd rather be for this hour than with you guys. So thank you. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you. So the uh, the book is "Do I Stay Christian?" And if you read it, be prepared to answer Morning. that question. Morning. You might stay Christian. <laughs> you might stay Christian. <laughs> It's so frustrating. I just think, and it's not even, you didn't even try to force us. Not even a little bit. I think that's why it was working on me. It's like, oh, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. I went to an ordination service this week and just wept, wept as I was like, oh, crud. (laughs) I still care. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, have a great day and thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're enjoying the conversations you hear on recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in what's known as the recovery room on discord to access our discord. Please join our Patreon to be in part of this community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and that gives you access to the community resources as well as it helps us to be able to produce the show. Check it out on patreoncom slash Now we know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are so many ways you can support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you are currently listening and make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Rev Covery Room is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and that's our handle. So come find us and let's keep the conversation going. Another live event is coming up and we want to meet you face to face. Our friend Trip Fuller of the Homebrewed Christianity podcast is throwing what can only be described as the ultimate podcast party. And friends, you are invited. Come to Theology Beer Camp, which is a three-day theological podcast beer nerd fest. So for $50 off your registration, please make sure to use the code REVCOVERY. You can come thirsty, you're going to get nerdy, and it's three days of theological zest. Who doesn't want to go to this? It's October 13th through the 15th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And again, don't forget to use the REVCOVERY code because that's going to get you $50 off. And then we can finally meet face-to-face on to some final thoughts and this week's poem hey friends thanks so much for listening with us so far and for sticking around here all the way to the end to the poem every week we read a poem or a quote that we think goes a little bit with the podcast this week and just as a way to reframe our thinking uh, if you're like me you hear the word poem and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm about to turn this podcast off. I don't need a poem in my life. And that is how I feel honestly about almost every poem I read or hear. I go, Ugh, I don't need this, but almost every poem I read in here, if I stick around and I let it work on me, it does something that regular words just don't always seem to do. And so I would challenge you and encourage you just to stick around a little bit uh, and to think about these Um, and just to allow it to work on you a bit and just to see what happens. Uh, This week, I'm actually not doing a poem. I'm actually going to read a quote uh, from Rilke. Uh, Rilke was a a fantastic, is a fantastic person to read if you are doubting your faith. Their poetry and prose is just has a way of just kind of working on you a little bit. Uh, this is actually a excerpt from a letter. Um, and this actually appears in the book, uh, Do I Stay Christian as well? And I thought it was appropriate and it's um, something that I, I just felt well, I wanted to share. Uh, so let me read this quote from Rilke. 
says, I want to beg you as much as I can, dear sir, to be patient toward all that is unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. I love that so much because we don't always get the answers right away. But if we can, I think if we can live the questions, uh, we can live in such a way that we can eventually maybe someday be ready for whatever that answer happens to be. Because we are not always arriving, but we are always becoming. And I want that for you, my friends, that you always become and that you always live into those questions and live them well. Thanks. Have a great week. <laughs>